Howdy, folks. Welcome to the PDXB Podcast, the weekly culture show that keeps a finger on the pulse of all things Portland. I'm your host, Amanda Lumba, and for this week's beat, let's talk jerky. But not just any type of jerky. The funny thing is that 80% of our customers are women across the board. Okay. Like just women, and in two, primarily two categories. One, um, super active and healthy, or two, they're foodies. That was Mike Schur, CEO and president of a revolutionary sustainable artisan snack company based here in our humble town called Shirky Jerky, talking about their specialty product. But jerky is jerky, isn't it? Most of the jerky out there is it's either healthy or tasty. Mm-hmm. So if it's healthy, it tastes like cardboard. If it's tasty, it has cardboard components in it. And by what I, I'm being facetious when I say that, but the ingredients are nasty, they're dirty, right? And it's not stuff that you know a pregnant woman would want to eat. It's not something you'd want to give to your child on a regular basis. Frankly, it's not something you should be eating on a regular basis. The meat origins are unknown. The quality of the meat is really poor. There is anti. I mean, it's just terrible <laughs> what they put into it. Right. But people eat it. Um, and so we wanted to fix that problem. We wanted to give people, like, the reason that Luna Bar came out was because there wasn't a product on the market that was uh, adapted for women specifically. And girls like, like, girls like meat. I mean, Europe is, you know, smoked meats, dried meats, a huge thing. Right. Europe, it's Brazil, uh, Latin America, Asia. It's just here that there's a negative connotation in our country about it. So our product, uh, that's one of the problems that we solve, that we want to solve for. The other major problem that we solve for is there's, we source locally from local farmers and ranchers. Right. Now, but that can't be scaled nationally. But what you can do is source locally in different regions of the country. Right. And you can process in different regions of the country. So the, the farmers and ranchers in the southeastern U.S. could support the southeastern demand. Right. And that, you create jobs, you're using the land, you're, you're supporting local, and you're creating a closed-loop system. So there's two things that we're working on. One is actually changing the food system. The other is a product that solves consumer needs. And Shirky Jerky's primary consumer, as Mike had already alluded to, are women. In fact, the slogan for their jerky is, Refined for her, savored by him, adapted to you. But what is it about Shirky Jerky that appeals to the gentler gender? Women appreciated the product because it, it tasted good. It was a clean source of protein. It didn't have a lot of sodium in it. Um, whether they were gluten-free or looking for something that's paleo, we had a Whole30 version for someone who didn't want to brag liquid aminos, which is soy-derived, so we substitute coconut aminos. So we checked all the boxes from a health standpoint for mm-hmm. girls, plus... <clears throat> It, it, was, it was easy to eat. It was easy to eat and it was tasty. And um, the women that weren't eating jerky thought, oh wow, this is actually a great source of protein and a great snack because it's small, it's convenient, it fits in my purse. But the big thing was that it didn't leave them feeling guilty after. Right. Because of the, the quality of the ingredients and the nutritional profile. Right. And the feedback we got as a result was primarily from women. So they, uh, they basically shaped the origins and evolution of the product from start to what it is today. Um, at one moment, one moment, it got sliced really thinly by our, our butcher partner. And um, we, you know, for a startup to throw away product because it doesn't meet the specs of something before, 
it's a dangerous thing to do. Sure. You kind of have to be creative and you know, you can make a new product out of it or test it. So we chose to test it and the feedback came back. Um, it was really positive from most of the girls. They were like, I really like that it's thin. I really like that it's smaller pieces. I, you know, cause before we had larger pieces that right. were, some of the feedback was it's a little bit hard to chew. At that point we were slicing it, everything with the grain. So we started slicing our beef across the grain and we gave them the option. And that made it easier to chew. So we called the easier to chew the city slicker. And the one that's a little bit chewier is the cowboy. Funny enough, a lot of 50% of the women that buy the beef still buy the cowboy because they <laughs> like it. So you can't please everyone all sure. the time. But, you know, we, uh, we tried our best to kind of uh, identify with the needs of our customer and listen to what they were saying. So it was shaped by feedback from girls. I think primarily also because women are more objective and tend to be um, slower to judge than men. As a culture, they, they've been conditioned to be more accepting of new ideas, whereas men tend to be a little bit more um, certain of their beliefs based on our society. So that, that played to our advantage, too, because here's a product that came with a stigma, and it was received openly or more openly by, by women who were willing to give it a chance versus by men who um, were really convinced that they knew everything there is to know about jerky and weren't willing to try it or give it a, you know, a sample. Now, I found out that Mike was an investment banker for nearly a decade before focusing on shirky jerky full time, but he did not go into the luxury snack business by design. Well, it started as a hobby. It wasn't a, it wasn't a business. Like I, I made the product for myself, not with the intent to sell it or give it to anyone. And people, friends tried it. Um, people in my CrossFit gym really liked it and they asked to buy it. And that's how it started. So after a few months and kind of getting repetitive sales from some, some people, 50% um, women, 50% men, realized, okay, so our product is actually better than some of the other stuff on the market. I noticed that I had a few products I was doing, I was working out, eating clean, paleo at the time, and the other products on the market, I thought, okay, this is compliance focused, but it's not, it's, it's by no means is this a good, tasty, maybe the meat is healthy, but it's like sticky, it's a mess, um, my mouth is, is sore after eating it. <laughs> My, my gums are ble bloody, like, good Lord. I mean, it's like, it was like a massacre in my <laughs> mouth. Um, so that I was like, I can make my own. Um, my uh, background's Russian. My family's Russian. I was born in Russia. So I, I grew up with like ethnic European style foods and meat. So that, that's like in my, I don't know. I know that as well as, you know, somebody who's, who lives in like a classical music family and they know like all the concertos and operas of all the you know classical players, all the greats. It's just, I like it, <laughs> I understand it. Sure. Um, I have a passion for it and appreciation for it. So that's kind of where it came from. And then I decided to, to look into it. So I didn't dive into the business. I basically just did a lot of market research and companies started popping up around. And I realized, okay, the industry is being validated. So it took a while. I mean, I, I first sale was in January of 2010 and I incorporated, I went full time, I should say in March of 2013. 
and he's been producing amazingly tasty treats since then. But I think the product's name also has a lot to do with Shirky Jerky's ongoing success. It's catchy and whimsical, so there had to have been some amazing market research behind its inception, right? The name is actually a fluke. It, there was no planning behind it. There was no thinking behind it. it. It was an accident. Okay. And it's really a short story, but after I'd been selling the product to uh, some of the other athletes and friends at the CrossFit gym where I was working out back in, it was actually started in New York City, in Long Island City in New York. Um, one of the guys, he actually, he was, a, he was a kicker for the Princeton football team. Okay in college so he said well you know it, it looks like you have a business like well what are you going to call it and I said I don't know I have no idea um, and we were kind of he was sitting around with a, with a group of a couple of girls at the time I just come in after the workouts were done in sequence like you do one stage one on the, on the hour and I came in for the, for, the, for the new one I think and so he asked that question and I was kind of like in the middle of my warm up stretching and uh, I just kind of blurted out after the question. I was like, shirky jerky. <laughs> and the girls laughed and they, they seemed to respond positively to the name. Mm -hmm. And uh, Derek kind of like furrowed his brow and like, you know, like, so basically consistent with what I just described about how women were embracing our product, right? Even the name. The guy was almost certainly convinced of like, no, like not being objective to the, even the idea of a, of a new concept, whereas the girls were open-minded to it. So even from the, from the beginning of the origin of the name, we knew that the customer, if we were really being mindful, that the audience was female primarily, mm -hmm. um, which is a gateway to the family, which sure. is you know, the decision maker when it comes to food in a lot of cases, especially for uh, stay-at-home moms or... Um, you know, people, I mean, my wife certainly makes most of the decisions. She, she asks me about input, but I said, whatever you want. Yeah, that'd be great. What do you want? Ham or turkey? Uh, ham is great this week, but like <laughs> Megan's making the decisions. Um, and I'm cool with that. It's not because sure. that's, that's her role. That's just, that's the dynamic of our family. And I think that is dynamic in, in many other families too. So that's where the name came from. We, change the E to a U for um, kind of like optical sim um, similarity and symbolism. Sure. Um, and also to get away from jerky. Right. But then we have artisan jerky in the title and the sub, sub line and right. kind of um, in, in the logo. So now that's luxury snacks. Right. Because the company is really a, a casual luxury snacks company. Jerky is a delivery mechanism for our marinades, and we have many different marinades. Yeah, I saw that uh, you use pineapples as, as a base for your, uh, for your marinades. Did, how did that evolve? So it stemmed from the paleo movement as well. Part okay. of the problem in most jerky is that it's loaded with sugar. Forget the problem that the meats are tainted. And when I mean tainted, I mean that they're like off, but their origins are questionable. The, 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 some of the animals are being fed other animal products. Oh boy. Like, yeah. And sometimes pigs will eat other animal products because pigs are pretty voracious like that. And they're omnivores. But you don't want your chicken eating other chicken parts. You right. don't want your cattle eating other cattle parts. They're grazers. Um, you don't want those animals eating grass or, or grains that were treated with fertilizers um, or chemical pesticides. Right. If it's natural, that's fine. Like if you're using 
uh, cacao shells, right, which are nitrogen-rich. But most of the meat out there, it's scary. It's really scary if you actually do your research. And most people don't know that or they turn a blind eye to it. Yeah, I think mostly turning a blind eye. Yeah. I don't want to know. <laughs> right. And it's like going to the restaurant. You go to a, super, uh, you know, to a restaurant, you, don't, you order something, even though if it's like, oh, like beans and, and steak or like, like legumes and steak, whatever it is, there's still probably a lot of butter in the dish. You, right. know, you don't know what they're doing in back of the kitchen. Anybody that's worked in a restaurant knows that optics and the back end are totally different. Like mm-hmm. what comes out on the plate, you have no idea how it's been made and served. <laughs> right. You don't know what's happened. Anyway, so going back to paleo, one problem was the origin of the meat. So we fixed that. We, sourced, we started sourcing from high-quality farmers and ranchers with awesome reputations. Um, in terms of the sugar, we, we were thinking, okay, so how can we pull out using like honey or agave and actually use something that, that people would eat on a regular basis? Pineapple was a great idea suggested by my wife, Megan, because um, it's, it's super tasty. It, it has a lot of acidity in it, a lot of sweetness. Um, the, the benefit of acid-rich foods is that they also um, preserve during the marination process. It is a acidification that occurs. So think about ceviche when you're eating raw fish, you drizzle a little bit of uh, lime usually lime. or mm-hmm. lemon, mm-hmm. and the acid in, in that actually tends to cook through a chemical process, the, the fish, the fish meat. And that happens with the beef and the pork and the turkey and all the meats that we use when we marinate them. We marinate them for an extended duration. So the pineapple did two things. It, it preserved and it also tenderized. Um, and at the same time, it was the sweetener. Right on. So that's how it came to be. And we used other fruits. We've used apple and cherry and um, cranberries. Native Americans have used cranberries for mm. hundreds of years mm-hmm. on the plains. And so it was consistent with our beliefs that Native Americans, maybe not from um, North America, but from South America, uh, were using, like say Hawaii, were using... Um, acid-based fruits for preservation of their fish and meats and, and whatnot. It's consistent with the evolution of the Native Americans on the plains in, in their use of cranberries. So that made sense. Um, and that's kind of, that was the reason for, for the pineapple. And we decided to only use pineapple now because it's streamlined the, the marinade. We didn't have to make a ton of different ones. Mm-hmm. Just one marinade, and we decided to go with different flavors instead. So rather than um, having like peppered and and teriyaki, which everybody's favorite, right, right. We, we kind of decided, okay, well, there's more, more people have preference over meat type, so why don't we offer different meats versus different flavors? Right. And that's how we streamlined and started. One marinade, different meat types, and originally we can change the flavor by changing the topics, which we can still do, but we're, we're still focused on the, the traditional smoked, which is the base flavor. Like us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash thepdxbeat. Find us on Twitter as at thepdxbeat. Email us at thepdxbeat at gmail.com. And check out our website at www.thepdxbeat.com.
There have been recent negative chatter on the interwebs and even some consumer backlash about products that are marketed for a specific gender. Most children's toys, for example, still continue to bear attributes such as packaging color or names, which superficially suggest that they're intended for girls versus boys, or vice versa. I asked Mike if Shirky Jerky, which, because of its nature, is specifically marketed to also appeal to women, has suffered any pitfalls. I think our brand is more sex agnostic. We don't have the colors. It it is more consistent with a luxury product, right? Um, So think of like Moet Chandong or Dom Perignon. It's sex agnostic. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. The brand speaks to somebody interested in, in, in style, with class, with taste, with sophistication of taste. And I think that that's the essence of the brand that, we're, that we strive to create. We didn't want it to be too feminine. We didn't want it to be too masculine. We wanted it to resonate with individuals leading active and healthy lifestyles and those with sophisticated and refined tastes. So foodies, beverage enthusiasts, people who like high-end wine and craft beers, it, it goes well with almost any kind of whiskey. Um, I'm a so fan that, of that. <laughs> and yeah, try it with a bourbon, try it with a scotch, try it with a rye. I mean, it's really cool um, when we can talk more about that. But there's been no backlash from men because it, the product's not positioned as a, female, as a product for women. It's just a product that addresses their needs right. um, that isn't available on the market. Yeah, and your packaging is very smart too. Thank you. So that helps, that helps with that. So speaking of pairings, we're actually going to be doing an event. I believe it's Friday the, 29th, the 28th or 29th of okay. this month at Pairings PDX, which okay. is on uh, 24th and Gleason, right across the street from uh, Tales and Trotters. So we'll be pairing our, our products with, with them at an event. So wine and jerky, um, good opportunity for people to come and check that out. But there's so much versatility with this product. So think of trail mix, right? You're on a hike, you're eating trail mix. This is something that you can throw in, in, with, in with it easily. Dried nuts, uh, dried fruit, it's, it's almost uh, an ideal combination. You can use fresh fruit also. I frequently will have an apple, um, and, and my wife and I will take an apple and some jerky with us when we go on a hike. It pairs with chocolate. The reason is because it's sweet and savory, but at mm-hmm. the same time we have natural, uh, natural sweetness coming from the pineapple. So it's fructose, but it's not refined. We haven't processed it. So essentially, if you eat a one-ounce bag like this one, you're probably getting, I don't know, maybe three or four cubes of pineapple that you're eating. Mm. And that sweetness with the savory, uh, it complements the chocolate, especially if it's a dark, kind of rich, bitter chocolate. It, it has a nice complementary effect. Drinks, pretty much any high-end drink. So not your you know, mainstream, like, Pabst or other, <laughs> you know, like non-microbrews, but definitely high-end wines, white or red. Um, definitely whis- like whiskeys, as I mentioned, uh, right. bourbons, ryes, scotches, craft beers. So what happens with the, the, the harder alcohols, like the whiskeys, is the, the alcohol content that kind of bur- gives you that burn it, it has uh, a nice relationship with the peppers that we have and the spices that we have in the jerky. Mm-hmm. So it almost accentuates the flavor of the, of the peppers. 
And then the peppers in turn do the same thing to the alcohol. They pull that, that hotness, that burn, mm -hmm. but it's a mild kind of reaction. So you get, you get to, you get to taste the alcohol in a different light and you get to appreciate the jerky in a different light because both complement each other. And it really is a pairing experience. Like my, my buddy and I, Brandon, will frequently have, uh, you know, 15 year, like 12, Valvoline makes a good 12, but my preference is like for a good 15 with, with some jerky. And it pairs really nicely. Yeah, as some chocolate. We did a chocolate version for Valentine's Day for the second year in a row. Um, we actually did a crowdfunding campaign when we, the, the summer that we launched here in Portland. And we did a chocolate, grass-fed chocolate, uh, grass-fed, grass-finished beef dipped in, in a locally made chocolate topped with cherries from a local orchard called Cherry Country in, in Central Oregon. We topped it with guajillo chili peppers, which mm -hmm. is a very mild chili pepper. It's kind of got like a back-end uh, spice profile and a little bit of Himalayan sea salt. And we sold, I don't know, we, we raised uh, $10,000 to a crowdfunding campaign for that project. People emailed us subsequently for Valentine's Day in 2014, asked us if we would have the product. We weren't geared up for it. There was too much going on. Same thing happened again this holiday season as early as like October. People were emailing us and saying, hey, are you going to have the chocolate jerky for the holidays? Right. We didn't get to do it in time, but we did get to do it in time um, for Valentine's Day with a local company that does a bean-to-bar chocolate called Pitch Dark Chocolate. Okay. They're on Sandy and 52nd. Um, and Coincidentally, so Shirky Jerky is a member of Starbucks, which is a Portland-based founders-driven, uh, founders-built accelerator. It's peer-to-peer -peer acceleration, peer-to-peer -peer mentoring by founders for founders. So only startups, only founders and their teams. Pitch Dark Chocolate is one of the newest members in Starbucks. So it's appropriate that we worked with another member company because, again, it, and it's not like we picked them because they're a Starbucks member company. Um, it just it worked out that way. Actually, the person that was at the prior chocolate company wound up going to work at Pitch Dark. So we kind of went full cycle to, from the first chocolate company to, to the second one that we worked with. And it, it did really well for Valentine's Day. Like I said, people, people emailed us saying, hey, um, can, we, can we get the chocolate jerky? So we were like, oh, well, we don't know that we're going to have it in time for our, the holidays. And we wrote them back saying, okay, we actually didn't make it in time, so get it while it's hot we a small <laughs> limited run but it, is it still uh, fairly mild because you know how sometimes the chocolate like bacon covered i'm sorry chocolate covered bacon for instance it's just too much right our, our product it's not too much okay. um because the chocolate it's not it's not hershey's right so it's not like this like cheap milk chocolate no offense <laughs> to anybody that likes hershey's um but it's a really it's like a 78 74 percent dark bean to bar. I mean, these guys get the beans, they roast them, they husk them, they take the cacao nibs out, and then they process, they make the chocolate themselves there. It's a high quality product and it, it marries our high quality jerky really perfectly. They're both made from scratch and the, the product that we made together is made from scratch. So start to finish, the whole thing is from scratch. And most of it is from Oregon, Oregon ingredients outside of the pineapple, which doesn't grow here. Um, but yeah. So it, it actually is not overwhelming at all. And that specific product also does really well with like a scotch or a whiskey or a brandy right. um, as you know, a digestive drink or a red wine or a, another type of, you know, kind right. of like a, a rosé or something, right? right? It's got a little bit of sweetness.
I'm going to ask you a very Portland question to, to, end, uh, to end things here. Will there ever be a vegan version of Shirky Jerky? Yeah, we've been thinking about it. We actually have product um, concepts for R&D. Again, being a startup, it's all about focus, single focus, right? And you try to do too many different things and you get distracted and you wind up doing none of them well. And with focus, you can really excel at one thing. And that's our aim, is to be really good at what we're focused on right now. When we have the time and resources, we'll expand. Uh, we've converted some vegetarians into, they're younger. They tend to be like girls who are like seven, eight, nine, ten, <laughs> who will make exceptions for our product. Sure. Right? Because, so yes, there, there's actually kind of like a soy crisp that we're thinking about. Um, we'll be introducing a... Uh, we're calling it a crinkles version of, of mm. this current jerky, which is a much drier format. So think like a potato chip, mm -hmm. but uh, it's a meat chip basically. And that'll nice. probably be on the market, available on our website, hopefully mm, by the end of, by the start of the second quarter. So April. Well, I appreciate you talking to me. Thank you for your time. Good question. You can find more information on Shirky Jerky and buy their delicious offerings on their website at shirkyjerky.com. That's spelled S-H-U-R-K-Y-J-U-R-K-Y.com. And you can keep up with them on Twitter at Shirky Jerky, as well as on other various social media. I'll have those links under the show notes for this episode. We're going to wrap things up this week with local comedian Timothy Blackton giving us a recap of recent headlines. Hi, I'm Timothy Blackton, and in case you missed it, Portland, Oregon is on the countdown to be possibly one of the sites for the 2017-2018 NBA All-Star Game. And that's pretty cool. The problem is, with Portland, Oregon, we're just not quite big enough. And I just don't mean in the sense of traffic, because we've got that one nailed. And I don't mean just in the sense of rainfall, because it's been pretty rainy. Not lately, but I digress. We don't have enough hotel beds. There's not enough room in Portland to house all the people, crew, media, fans that want to attend the NBA All-Star Game. Now, we're getting a hotel built here pretty pretty straight away near the convention center, 600-bed uh, uh, hotel, and it's much needed. It is long overdue. The idea that Portland is this small, boutique-y, hip little town, it's over. We're a big city. We need to have big city tools. We need to have a big hotel. I don't need a fancy downtown swanky little thing. Give me something with beds that I can put people in it who can spend money in Portland. Because the more people we bring to Portland, the more money they're going to spend. So this next part is called All About the Nookie. And in case you missed it recently, it's been all about the Nookie. Last summer, a Portland fire marshal gave the tip-off to a local sex club that they were not going to have any issues the night of their big party from the fire marshal, although the club was in clear violation of many, many safety issues. So, this fire marshal, and we'll just call him, I guess, Jonesy. Oh, his name is Jones? 
Okay, we're going to call in Jonesy. And Jonesy let this club know, hey, you're not going to have an issue. You should be fine. And the club went on booking way more people that should be in that club than is allowed. And there were no exit signs, and safety issues were abounding. Did the fire marshal's department show up? Hell yeah, they showed up. And they busted Jonesy, and they said, Jonesy, you did not do the right thing. Uh, for the nookie, he did as much as he was willing to do. Now, other departments where people kind of tell sort of fibs, and the police specifically, people are fired. Jonesy kind of got a reprimand. I'm quite sure everybody got some nookie around that one. And in case you missed it, the big ticket item here, the big ticket nookie item, is that John Kitzhopper is no longer our governor. Now wait, you say to yourself, what does that have to do with the nookie? Everything. It has to do everything with the nookie. Kitzhopper's girlfriend, live-in, wife, whatever, not common law, not even a wife, uh, had some fiscal dealings that were not so good. And she used her political power, her pussy, uh, and got things done. Uh, all inappropriate things. So it's a bad use of the nookie, that's what I've got to say. But Kitzhaber, I'm sorry. If she's a great piece of tail, hats off to you. Do it, live life fully, and get your Viagra and go. But somehow, her history, you're not in a good space, my friend. Get some help. I've been Timothy Blackton, and that's been In Case You've Missed It. Our friend Timothy can be found on Twitter at RevTimmyB. That's R-E-V-T-I-M-M-Y-B. Well, folks, that's our show this week. Our theme music is called Cataracts by local musician Sweet Nothing. Don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes and help spread the word about this podcast, will you? This has been an episode of the PDXB podcast. I'm Amado Lumba. Thanks for tuning in.